Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. So now we're going to start with our 12th chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire which is the fourth book of Harry Potter series and the fifth book of our complete podcast. The chapter name is The Triwizard Tournament. Through the gates flanked with statues of winched boars and up the sweeping drive the carriages trundled swaying dangerously in what was fast becoming a gale leaning against the window harry could see hogwarts coming nearer its many lighted windows blurred and shimmering behind the thick curtain of rain lightning flashed across the sky as their carriage came to a halt before the great yoke oak Front doors, which stood at the top of a flight of stone steps, people who had occupied the carriages in front were already hurrying up the stone steps into the castle. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville jumped down from the carriage and dashed up the steps too, looking up only when they were safely inside the cavernous, touch-lit entrance hall, with its magnificent marble staircase. Blimey, said Ron shaking his head and sending water everywhere if that keeps up the lake's going to overflow i'm soaked ug a large red water-filled balloon had dropped out of the ceiling onto ron's head and exploded drenched and spluttering ron staggered sideways into hurry just as a second water bomb dropped narrowly missing Hermione burst at Harry's feet, sending a wave of cold water over his trainers into his socks. People all around them shrieked and started pushing each other in their efforts to get out of the line of fire. Harry looked up and saw floating twenty feet above them, Peeves the Portuguese, a man, a little man, in a bell covered hat and orange bow tie hid his wide malicious face contorted with concentration as he took aim again peeves yelled an angry voice peeves come down here at once professor mcgonagall deputy headmistress and headmistress and head of gryffindor house had come dashing out of the great hall she stopped herself falling ouch sorry miss granger that's all right professor hermione gasped massaging her throat straightening her pointed hat and glaring upwards through her square-rimmed spectacles not doing nothing cackled peeves lobbing a water bomb and several fifth-year girls who screamed and dived into the great hall Already wet, aren't they? Little squirts. Whee! And he aimed another bomb at a group of second years who had just arrived. I shall call the headmaster, shouted Professor McGonagall. I'm warning you, Peeves. Peeves stuck out his tongue, threw the last of his water bombs into the air and zoomed off up the marble staircase, cackling insanely. Well, move along then said Professor McGonagall sharply to the bad regals crowd into the great hall. Come on, 
Harry, Ron and Hermione slipped and slid across the entrance hall and through the double doors on the right, Ron muttering furiously under his breath as he pushed his sopping hair off his face. The great hall looked its usual splendid self, decorated for the start of term feast. Golden plates and goblets gleamed by the light of hundreds and hundreds of candles floating over the tables in mid-air. The four long house tables were packed and chattering students at the top of the hall. The staff sat along one side of a fifth table facing their pupils. It was much warmer in here. Harry, Ron and Hermione walked past the Slytherins, the Reventlaws and the Hufflepuffs and sat down with the rest of the Gryffindors at the far side of the hall, next to nearly headless Nick, the Gryffindor host, barely white and semi-transparent, Nick was dressed tonight in his usual goblet with a particularly large ruff, which served the dual purpose of looking extra festive and ensuring that his head would not wobble too much. On his partially severed neck. Good evening, he said, beaming at them. Says who? said Harry, taking off his trainers and emptying them of water. Hope they hurry up with the sorting. I'm starving. The sorting of the new students into houses took place at the start of every school year, but by an unlucky combination of circumstances, Harry had not been present at once since his own. He was quite looking forward to it. Just then, a, a highly excited, breathless voice called down the table, Here, Harry! It was Colin Creevy, a third year, to whom Harry was something of a hero. Hi, Colin, said Harry verily. Harry, guess what? Guess what, Harry? My brother's starting. My brother Dennis. Uh, good, said Harry. He's really excited, said Colin, practically bouncing up and down in his seat. I just hope he's in Gryffindor. Keep your fingers crossed, eh, Harry. Uh, yeah, all, all right, said Harry. He turned back to Hermione, Ron, and nearly headless Nick. Brothers and sisters usually go in the same houses, don't they? He said. He was judging by the Weasleys, all seven of whom had been put into Gryffindor. Oh, no, n not necessarily, said Hermione. Parvati Patel's twins in Reventlaw, and they're identical. You'd think they'd be together, wouldn't you? Harry looked up at the staff table. Three seemed to be rather most em more empty seats there than usual. Hagrid, of course, was still fighting his way across the lake with the first years. And Professor McGonagall was presumably so supervising the drying of the entrance hall flow. But there was another empty chair too, and he could not think who else was missing. Where's the new defense against the dark arts teacher? said Amani, who was also looking up at the teachers. They had never yet had a defense against the dark arts teacher who had lasted more than three terms. Harry's favorite by far had been Professor Lupin, who had resigned last year. He looked up and down the staff table. There was definitely 
no new face there. Maybe they could not get what anyone, said Hermione, looking anxious. Harry scanned the table more carefully. Tiny little Professor Flitwick said the charms teacher was sitting on a large pile of cushions beside Professor Sprout, the herbology teacher, whose heart was askew over her flyaway grey hair. She was talking to Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department. On Professor Sinistra's other side was the sallow-faced, hook-nosed, greasy-haired portions master, Snape. Harry's least favourite person at Hogwarts, Harry's loathing of Snape was matched only by Snape's hatred of him, a hatred which had, if possible, intensified last year. When Harry had helped Sirius escape right under Snape's over-large over -large nose, Snape and Sirius had been enemies since their own school days. On Snape's other side was an empty seat, which Harry guessed was Professor McGonagall's. Next to it, and in the very centre of the table, sat Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster, his sweeping silver hair and beard shining in the candlelight, his magnificent deep green robes embroidered with many stars and moons, the tips of Dumbledore's long and thin Fingers were together and he was resting his chin upon them, staring up at the ceiling through his half-moon spectacles as though lost in thought. Harry glanced up at the ceiling too. It was enchanted to look like the sky outside and he had never seen it. Look the storm, stormy black and purple clouds were swirling across it and as another thunderclap sounded outside a folk of lightning flashed across it oh hurry up ron moaned beside harry i could eat a hippogriff the words were no sooner out of his mouth than the doors of the great hall opened and silence fell. Professor McGonagall was leading a long line of first years up to the top of the hall. If Harry, Ron and Hermione were wet, it was nothing to how these first years looked. They appeared to have swum across the lake rather than sailing. All of them were shivering with a combination of cold and nerves. As they filled along the staff table and came to a halt in a line facing the rest of the school all of them except the smallest of the lot a boy with mousy hair was who was wrapped in what harry recognized as hagrid's molluscan overcoat the coat was so big for him that it looked as though it was wrapped in a furry black marquee his small face protruded from over the collar, looking almost painfully excited when he had lined up with his terrified-looking peers. He caught Colin Creevy's eyes, gave a double thumbs up and mouthed. I fell in the lake. He looked positively delighted about it. Professor McGonagall now placed a three-legged stool on the ground before the first years and on top of it an extremely old, dirty, patched wizard's hat. The first years stared at it. So did everyone else. For a moment, there was silence. Then a tear near the brim opened wide like a mouth, and the heart broke into song. 
a thousand years or more ago, when I was newly sewn, there lived four wizards of renown, whose names are still well known. Bold Gryffindor from Vile Moor, Fair Ravenclaw from Glen, Sweet Hufflepuff from Valley Broad, Shroud Slytherin from Fen. They shared a wish, a hope, a dream. They hatched a daring plan to educate young sorcerers. Thus Hogwarts School began. Now each of these four founders formed their own house for each did value different virtues. And the ones they had to teach by Gryffindor, the bravest were prized far beyond the rest. For Ravenclaw, the cleverest would always be the best. For Hufflepuff, hard workers were mostly all worthy of admission, and power-hungry Slytherin loved those of great ambition. While still alive, they did divide their favorites from the throng. Yet how to pick the worthy ones when they were dead and gone? Twas. Gryffindor who found the way. He whipped off his head. The founders put some brains in me so I could choose and steer. Now slip me snug about your ears. I've never yet been it wrong. I'll have to look inside your mind and tell where you belong. The great hall rang with applause as the sorting had finished. That's not the song it sang when it sorted us, said Harry, clapping along with everyone else. Sings a different one every year, said Ron. It's got to be a pretty boring life, hasn't it? Being a hat, it's a bow that spends all year making up the next one. Professor McGonagall was now unrolling a large scroll of parchment. When I call out your name, you will put on the hat and sit on the stool. It's she told the first years when the hat announces your house, you will go and sit the appropriate table. A curly stairwart, a boy walked forward, visibly trembling from head to foot, picked up the sorting hat, put it on the sat on and sat down on the stool. Ravenclaw shouted the hat stairwart. A curly took off hat and hurried into the seat at the Ravenclaw table where everyone was applauding him. Harry caught a glimpse of Joe, the Ravenclaw seeker, cheering Stewart eagerly as he sat down. For a fleeting second, Harry had a strange desire to join the Ravenclaw table too. Badrock Malcolm Slytherin! The table on the other side of the hall erupted with cheers. Harry could see Malfoy clapping as Baroque joined the Slytherins. Harry wondered whether Baroque knew the Slytherin house had turned out more dark witches and wizards than any other. Fred and George hissed Malcolm Baroque as he sat down. Brownstone, Eleanor, Hufflepuff, Caldwell Owen, Hufflepuff, Creevy Dennis, Tiny Dennis, Creevy Staggered, Forward, dripping over Hagrid's moleskin, just as Hagrid himself settled into the hall through a door behind the teacher's table, about twice as tall as a normal man, and 
at least three times as broad. Hagrid, with his long, wild, tangled black hair and beard, looked slightly alarming, a misleading impression for Harry, Ron, and Hermione knew Hagrid to possess a very kind nature. He winked at them as he sat down at the end of the staff table and watched Dennis Creevy putting on the sorting hat. The rip at the brim opened wide. Gryffindor, the hat shouted. Hagrid clapped along with the Gryffindors as Dennis Creevy, beaming wildly, took off the hat, placed it back on the stool and hurried over to join his brother. Colin, I fell in, he said shrilly, throwing himself into an empty seat. It was brilliant, and something in the water grabbed me and pushed me back in the boat. Cool, said Colin, just as excitedly it was probably the giant squid, Dennis. Wow, said Dennis, as though nobody in their wildest dreams could hope for more than being thrown into a storm door, tossed fathoms deep lake and pushed out of it again by a giant sea monster. Dennis, Dennis, see that boy down there, the one with the black hair and glasses. See him? You know who he is? Dennis, Harry looked away. Staring very hard at the sorting hat, now sorting Emma Dobbs. The sorting continued, boys and girls with varying degrees of fright on their faces, moving one by one to the three-legged stool, the line dwindling slowly as Professor McGonagall passed the L's. Oh, hurry up, Ron moaned, massaging his stomach. Now, Ron, the sorting's much more important than food said nearly headless Nick, as Madeline Laura became a Hufflepuff. Course it is, if you did, snapped Ron. I do hope this year's batch of Gryffindors are up to scratch, said nearly headless Nick, applauding as McDonald's Taylor joined the Gryffindor table. We don't want to break our winning streak, do we? Gryffindor had won the Interhouse in Championship for the last three years in a row. Pritchard, Graham, Slytherin, Quirky, Orla, Ravenclaw, and finally with Whitby, Kevin, Hufflepuff, the sordid ending. Professor McGonagall picked up the hat and the stool and carried them away. About time, said Ron, seizing his knife and fork with the, and looking expensive expectantly at his golden plate. Professor Dumbledore had got to his feet. He was smiling around at the students. His arms opened wide in welcome. I have only two words to say to you, he told them, his deep voice echoing around the hall. Tuck in. Here, here, said Harry, said Ron loudly and Ron loudly as the empty dishes filled magically before their eyes. Nearly headless Nick watched mournfully as Harry, Ron, and Hermione loaded their plates. Ah, that's bear, said Ron. Better, said Ron, with his mouth full of mashed potato. 
"'You're lucky there's a feast at all tonight, you know,' said nearly headless Nick. "'There was trouble in the kitchens earlier.' "'Why, what happened?' said Harry, through a sizable chunk of steak. "'Peeves, of course,' said nearly headless Nick, shaking his head, which wobbled dangerously. He pulled his ruff a little higher up his neck. "'The usual argument, you know, he wanted to attend the feast. "'Well, it's quite out of the question, you know.' What he's like, utterly uncivilized, can't see a plate of food without throwing it. He held a ghost council, the fat friar, was all for giving him the chance, but most wisely, in my opinion, the bloody baron put his foot down. The bloody baron was the Slytherin host, a gaunt and silent spectre covered in silver bloodstains. He was the only person at Hogwarts who could really control Peeves. Yeah, we thought Peeves seemed hugged off about something, said Ron darkly. So what did he do in the kitchens? Oh, the usual, said Nelly Headless Nick. Shrugging, wrecked havoc and mayhem, pots and pans everywhere. Play swimming in soup, terrified the house elves out of their wits. Clan! Hermione had knocked over her golden goblet. Pumpkin was spread steadily over the tablecloth, staining several feet of white linen orange, but Hermione paid no attention. There are house elves here, she said, staring horror stuck at nearly headless Nick. Here at Hogwarts, certainly, said nearly headless Nick, looking surprised at her reaction. The largest number in any dwelling in Britain, I believe, over a hundred. I've never seen one, said Hermione. Well, they hardly ever leave the kitchen by day, do they? Said nearly headless Nick. They come out at night to do a bit of cleaning, see to the fires and so on. I mean, you're not supposed to see them, are you? That's the mark of a good house elf, isn't it, that you don't know it's there? Hermione stared at him. But they're, they get paid, said, she said. They get holidays, don't they? And sick leave and pensions and everything. Haley and Lesnick totaled so much that his ruff slipped and his head flopped off, dangling on the inch or so of ghostly skin and muscle that still attached it to his neck. Sick leave and pensions, he said pushing his head back onto his shoulders and securing it once more with his ruff. House elves don't want sick leave and pensions. Hermione looked down at her hardly touched plate of food, then put her knife and fork down upon it and pushed it away from her. Oh, come on, uh, my knee. Hermione, said Ron, accidentally, spraying Harry with bits of Yorkshire pudding. Oops, sorry. Harry, he swallowed. You won't get them sick. Leave by starving yourself. Slave labor, said Hermione. Breathing hard through her nose. That's what made their dinner. Slave labor. And she refused to eat another bite. 
The rain was still drumming heavily against the high dark windows. Another clap of thunder shook the windows, and the stormy ceiling flashed, illuminating the golden plates as the remains of the first course vanished and were replaced instantly with puddings. Treacle tart, Hermione said Ron deliberately, wafting its smell towards her. Spotted Dick, look, chocolate get you. But Hermione gave him a look so reminiscent of Professor McGonagall that he gave up. When the puddings too had been demolished and the last crumbs had faded off the plates, leaving them sparkling clean, Albus Dumbledore got to his feet again. The buzz of chatter filling the hall Keased almost at once, so that only the howling wind and pounding rain could be heard. So, said Dumbledore, smiling around them at all, now that we are all fed and watered, <laughs> said Hermione, I must once more ask for your attention while I give out a few notices. Mr. Filch, the caretaker, has asked me to tell you that the list of the objects forbidden inside the castle has this year been extended to include screaming yo-yos, fangled frisbees and ear-bashing boom earrings. The full list comprises some 437 items, I believe, and can be viewed in Mr. Phil's office. If nobody would like to check it, the corners of Dumbledore's mouth twitched. He continued, As ever, I would like to remind you all that the forest in the grounds is out of bounds to students, as is the village to, of Hogsmeade to all below third year. It is also my painful duty to inform you that the Enterhouse Quidditch Cup will not take place this year. What? gasped Harry. He looked around at Fred and George, his fellow members of the Quidditch team. They were mouthing soundlessly at Dumbledore, apparently too appalled to speak. Dumbledore continued, This is due to an event that will be starting in October and continuing throughout the school year, taking up much of the teacher's time and energy. But I am sure you will enjoy all enjoy it immensely. I have great pleasure in an announcing that this year at Hogwarts, but at that moment there was a defeating rumble of thunder and the doors of the great hall banged open. A man stood in the doorway, leaning upon a long staff shrouded in black travelling cloak. Every head in the great hall swivelled towards the stranger, suddenly brightly illuminated by a folk of lightning that flashed across the ceiling. He lowered his hood, shook out a long mane of grizzled, dark grey hair, and they began to walk up towards the teacher's table. A dull clunk echoed through the hall on his every other step. He reached the end of the top table, turned right, and limped heavily towards Dumbledore. Another flash of lightning crossed the ceiling, Hermione gasped. The sea lightning had thrown the man's face into sharp relief, and it was a face unlike in any Harry had ever 
scene, it looked as though it had been carved out of withered wood by someone who had only the vaguest idea of what human faces were supposed to look like and was none too skilled with a chisel. Every inch of skin seemed to be scarred. The mouth looked like a diagonal dash and a large chunk of the nose and missing, but it was the man's eyes that made him frightening. One of them was small, dark, and beady. The, the other was large, round as a coin, and a vivid electric blue. The blue eye was moving, keyslessly, without blinking, and was rolling up, down, and from side to side, quite independently of the normal eye, and then it rolled right over, pointing in the dark, into the dark of the man's head, so that all they could see was whiteness. The stranger reached Dumbledore. He stretched out a hand that was as badly scarred as his face, and Dumbledore shook it, muttering words Harry couldn't hear. He seemed to be making some inquiry of the stranger, who shook his head unsmilingly and replied in an undertone. Dumbledore nodded and gestured the man to the empty seat on his right-hand side. The stranger sat down, shook his mane of dark grey hair out of his face, pulled a plate of sausages towards him, raised it to what was left of his nose and sniffed it. He then took a small knife out of his pocket, speared a sausage on the end of it and began to eat. His normal eye was fixed upon the sausages, but the blue eye was still dodging restlessly around in its socket, taking in the hall and the students. May I introduce our new defense against the dark arts teacher, said Dumbledore brightly, into the silence. Professor Moody. It was usual for new staff members to be greeted with applause, but none of the staff or students clapped except Dumbledore and Hagrid. Both put their hands together and applauded, but the sound echoed dismally into the silence, and they stopped fairly quickly. Everyone else seemed too transfixed by Moody's bizarre appearance to do more than stare at him. Moody, Harry muttered to Ron, Mad I Moody, the one on your the one your dad went to help this morning. Must be, said Ron in a low eight voice. What happened to him? Hermione whispered. What happened to his face? Dunno, Harry whispered Ron whispered back, watching Moody with fascination. Moody seemed totally indifferent to his less than warm welcome. Ignoring the jug of pumpkin juice in front of him, he reached again into his travelling cloak, pulled out a hip flask and took a long draught from it. As he lifted his arm to drink it, his cloak was pulled a few inches from the ground and Harry saw below the table several inches of carved wooden leg ending in a clawed foot. Dumbledore cleared his throat again. As I was saying, he said, smiling at the sea of students before him, all of whom were still gazing transfixed at Mara Moody, we are 
to have the honor of hosting a very exciting event over the coming month an event which has not been held for over a century it is my very great pleasure to inform you that the trivers tournament will be taking place at hogwarts this year you're joking said fred weasley loudly and the tension that had filled the hall ever since moody's arrival suddenly broke nearly everyone laughed and dumbledore chuckled appreciatively i'm not joking mr weasley he said though now you mention it i did hear an excellent one over the summer about a troll a hag and a leprechaun who all go into a bar professor mcgonagall cleared her throat loudly <clears throat> uh maybe this is not the time no said dumbledore where was i ah yes the private tournament well some of you will not know what this tournament involves so i hope those who do know will forgive me for giving a short explanation and allow their attention to wander freely The Trivers Tournament was first established some 700 years ago as a friendly competition between the three largest European schools of wizardry, Hogwarts, Boxbatons and Durmstrang. A champion was selected to represent each school and the three champions competed competed in three magical tasks. The schools took it in turns to host the tournament once every 5 years and it was generally agreed by to be a most excellent way of establishing ties between young witches and wizards of different nationalities until that is the death toll mounted so high that the tournament was discontinued Death Dole, Hermione whispered, looking alarmed, but her anxiety did not seem to be shared by the majority of students in the hall. Many of them were whispering excitedly with each other, and Harry himself was far more interested in hearing more about the tournament than in worrying about deaths that had happened hundreds of years ago. There have been several attempts over the centuries to reinstate the tournament. Dumbledore continued, none of which have been very successful. However, our own Department of International Magical Corporation and Magical Games and Sports have decided to, the time to, is ripe for another attempt. We have worked hard over the summer to ensure that this time no champion will find himself or herself in mortal danger the heads of box battens and dermstrang will be arriving with their shortlisted contenders in october and the selection of the three champions will take place at halloween an impartial judge will decide which students are most worthy to compete for the triwizard cup the glory of their school and a thousand galleons personal prize money i'm going for it fred weasley said fred weasley hissed down the table 
his face lit with enthusiasm, enthusiasm at the prospect of such glory and riches. He was not the only person who seemed to be visualizing themselves at Hogwarts champion. At every house table, Harry could see people either gazing raptly at Dumbledore or else whispering fervently to their neighbors. But then Dumbledore spoke again, and the hall quietened once more. Eager though, I know all of you will be to bring the Triwizard Cup to Hogwarts, he said. The heads of participating schools, along with the Ministry of Magic, have agreed to impose an age restriction on contenders this year. Only students who are of age, that is to say 17 years or older, will be allowed to put forward their names for consideration. This. Dumbledore raised his voice slightly, for several people had made noises of outrage at these words, and the Weasley twins were suddenly looking furious. Is a measure we feel is necessary, given that the tournament tasks will be still will still be so difficult and dangerous whatever precautions we take and it is highly unlikely the students below sixth and seventh year will be able to cope with them i will personally be ensuring that no underage student hoodings or are per impartial judge into making them hogwarts champion his light blue eyes twinkled as they flickered over Fred and George's motionless faces, I therefore beg you not to waste your time submitting yourself if you are under seventeen. The delegations from Box Patterns and Durmstrang will be arriving in October and remaining with us for the greater part of this year. I know that you will all extend every courtesy to our foreign guests while they are with us and will give your wholehearted support to the Hogwarts champion. When he or she is selected and now it is late and I know how important it is to you all to be alert and rested as you enter your lessons tomorrow morning. Bedtime. Chop chop. Dumbledore sat down again and turned to talk to Marai Moody. There was a great scrapping and banging as all the students got to their feet and swarmed towards the double doors into the entrance hall. They can't do that, said George Weasley, who had not joined the crowd moving towards the door, but was standing and glaring at Dumbledore. We're 17 in April. Why can't we have a shoot? Why can't we have a shot? They're not stopping me entering, said Fred stubbornly, also scowling at the table, top table. The champions will get to do all sorts of stuff you'd never be allowed to do normally. And a thousand galleons prize money. Yeah, said Ron, a far away look on his face.
Yeah, a thousand galleons. Come on, said Hermione. We'll be the only ones left here if you don't move. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, Fred, and George set off for the entrance hall. Fred and George debating the ways in which Dumbledore might stop those who were under 17 entering the tournament. Who's the impartial judge who's going to decide who the champions are? said Harry. Dunno, said Fred, but it's them we'll have to fool. I reckon a couple of drops of aging potion might do it, George. Dumbledore knows you're not of age, though, said Ron. Yeah, but he's not the one who decides who the champion is, is he? said Fred shreddily. Sounds to me like once this judge knows who wants to enter, he'll choose the best from each school and never mind how old they are. Dumbledore's trying to stop us giving our names. People have died, though, said Amani in a worried voice, as they walked through a door concealed behind the tapestry and started up another. Now roar staircase. Yeah, said Fred airily. But that was years ago, wasn't it? Anyway, where's the fun without a bit of risk? Hey, Ron, what if we find out how to get around Dumbledore? Fancy entering. What do you reckon? Ron asked Harry. Be cool to enter, wouldn't it? But I suppose they might want someone older. Don't know if we've learned enough. I definitely haven't came Neville's gloomy voice from behind Fred and George. I expect my granddad warned me to try, though she's always going on about how I should be an upholding the family honour. I'll just have to... Oops! Neville's foot had sunk right through a step halfway up the staircase. There were many of these trick stairs at Hogwarts. It was... Second nature to most of the older students to jump this particular step, but Neville's memory was notoriously poor. Harry and Ron seized him under the armpits and pulled him out, while a suit of armor at the top of stairs creaked and clanked, laughing wheezily. Shut it, you, said Ron, backing down its visor as they passed. They made their way up to the entrance to Gryffindor Tower, which was concealed behind a large portrait of a fat lady in a pink silk dress. Password, she said as they approached. Balderdash, said George, a prefect downstairs told me. The portrait swung forward to reveal a hole in the wall through which they all climbed. A crackling fire was warming the circular common room, which was full of squashy armchairs and tables. Hermione cast the merrily dancing flames a dark look, and Harry distinctly heard her mutter. Slave labor, before biding them good night and disappearing through the doorway to the girls' dormitories. Harry, Ron, and Neville climbed up the last, spiral staircase until they reached their own dormitory, which was situated at the top of the tower. Five-four pushed a bed, 
with deep crimson hangings stood against the walls, each with its own trunk at the foot. Dean and Seamus were already getting into bed. Seamus had pinned his island rosette to his headboard and Dean had tagged up a poster of Victor Crumb over his bedside table. His old poster of West Ham football team was pinned right next to it. Mental Ron sighed, shaking his head at the completely stationed Ari Saucer players. Soccer players. Harry, Ron, and Neville got into their pajamas and into bed. Some in a house elf, no doubt, had placed warning bands between the sheets. It was extremely comfortable lying there in bed and listening to the storm ranging outside. I might go in for it, you know, Ron said sleepily through the darkness. If Fred and George find out how to the tournament, you know, never know, do you? Suppose not. Harry rolled over in bed, a series of dazzling new pictures forming in his mind's eye. He had hoodwinked the impartial judge into believing he was 17. He had become Hogwarts champion. He was standing in the grounds, his arms raised in triumph in front of the whole school, all of whom were applauding and screaming. He had just won the Triwizard Tournament. Joe's face stood out particularly clearly in the large crowd, her face glowing with admiration. Harry grinned into his pillow, exceptionally glad that Ron couldn't see what he could. Okay, everyone, this chapter is finished, and we're going to start our next chapter, which is chapter 13, Marai Moody, in our next podcast. Till then, thank you for listening.